0: So it's my pleasure to announce Sally Ross this afternoon, who's the Director of the New South Wales ACT Complaints Operations for the Aged Care Complaints Commission. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm not sure what I did to get the Friday afternoon slot, but I'll try and keep you engaged and awake. Um, Yes, my name's Sally Ross. I'm the Director of the Commissioner's New South Wales ACT office which is based um, just near Central Station at 260 Elizabeth Street. We have about uh, 33 staff there who manage all the complaints that we receive for um, New South Wales and the ACT. Before I start I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we meet on today and pay my respect to their elders past and present. Right button, good. Um, what I'm going to talk to you about today is what the aged care complaints commissioner does um, how we do it some of the things that we've been seeing since the complaints commissioner became responsible for complaints earlier this year um, how we work with our, our registered nurses in our clinical unit and then there's hopefully be some time for questions at the end so what we do that's not a particularly helpful slide on what we do, but we do cover all of Australia. Um, As you might be aware, we were previously the Aged Care Complaints Scheme, which was under the Department of Health, but from January this year, Ray Lamb took on the role of the Aged Care Complaints Commissioner and took over responsibility for the management of complaints, so the previous Aged Care Complaints Scheme now comes under the Commissioner and the powers that had been with the Secretary of the Department of Health are now held by the Commissioner. Um, This move was done to create independence uh, of the complaints handling process from the regulatory and funding responsibilities that sit with the Department. And that was done in keeping with international best practice for complaints handling, but also in response to feedback that the minister and the department were getting, both from consumers and from service providers about the desirability of there being an independent complaints function. The commission is responsible for managing complaints about all Australian government funded aged care services, so that's residential home care services, uh, Commonwealth Home Support Program, and the national Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flexible aged care program. Um, In addition to our our core function, which is resolving complaints, we also, um, since moving under the Commissioner, have an education function and that's been added in to the Commissioner's functions in the uh, complaints principles. And um, that's a responsibility to deliver education to the sector, um, including uh, to service providers and also to consumers um, around complaints management and uh, issues arising from um, complaints about approved providers' responsibilities under the Aged Care Act. So that's a really, it's still a developing part of the role, um, but it's a really uh, important part of the role because we really want to build the capacity of aged care providers to resolve complaints quickly and directly with people because we all know that that's a better way to do it than to have to escalate it through an external complaints body, if at all possible. We also, um, as part of that education function, um, are interested in providing more feedback to the sector about what we're seeing from complaints and what we're doing. You may have seen um, earlier this week, or it may have been late last week, but uh, the Complaints Commissioner's first annual report was released and you can look that up on our website online if you're interested to read that. Um, So that's a report really on the first six months since being under the Commissioner and it it gives a really good um, overview of what we do, how we do it and some of the key statistics coming out of our complaints. It's quite a nice to look at and easy to read document. So our vision is that people trust that making a complaint is worthwhile, that it will lead to resolution for the individual and improve care for others. So you can see from the language that we've used in that vision that it's all about using complaints to drive improvement. If you've ever if you had dealt with the aged care complaint scheme four or five years ago, you might have heard people talking about breaches where the providers had breached their responsibilities. We don't use that language anymore. We're not about breaches. Where we do identify um, deficiencies in care, we're about working with the parties to resolve the complaint and improve the care, both for that individual care recipient and for others in the service. Um, As I go further through, you'll see that there is a more pointy end as well, but um, the basic aim is to work together to resolve the complaints. So coming from our vision are our values. So the first one there is pretty self-evident, approachable, independent, impartial and fair. Um, And again, that language about listening to you, exploring what went wrong and working with the people involved to fix it and ensuring that we use complaints to improve care. And we do often get um, a lot of positive feedback um, both from complainants but also from providers telling us that having us involved actually did help them to look more objectively at what the situation was and to um, identify some areas where they could improve and to put things in place that are benefiting the service and, and the care recipients more broadly. So we, we work to three objectives. Um, I've already spoken a bit about resolve and improve. The third one there in the middle is is to protect. So to take timely action on issues raised through complaints to ensure people receiving aged care are well cared for and protected. So that's really all about when we get a complaint that um, raises concern about risk to either the individual care recipient or to other care recipients that we're Um, assessing that risk and taking steps um, with the provider and if need be with other agencies involved in quality in aged care to um, make sure that that risk is mitigated. So as I just mentioned, there are three um, agencies that are involved in ensuring the quality of aged care services. Um, The Department of Health still has overall responsibility for regulation and funding of aged care and for the policy and maintaining the legislative framework. The Complaints Commissioner as I'll go through today is responsible for resolving complaints from individuals and of course you'd be well aware of the um, Aged Care Quality Agency and their functions in terms of um, the accreditation system. All three agencies are independent decision makers but we do have protocols for sharing of information between us where where that's appropriate to help us to carry out our functions. So we can, for example, where we come across issues that we think may raise a systemic concern, we can make a referral to the quality agency and they'll um, either do an additional uh, site visit as a result of that information or, um, or consider that information at their next um, visit, depending on the, the urgency and, and the the risk of the information that we've referred to them. So, how do we do it? We have two main uh, approaches to resolving complaints. We're either doing an early resolution process or a more detailed resolution process. So, obviously early resolution, as it sounds, is is about trying to do a fast and direct resolution of an issue. Um, So, most of our complaints are received by telephone. We do receive some from, uh, our, through our website and some still um, by mail, but uh, the vast majority of people ring us and um, they have a discussion with an intake officer up front to try and really understand what their issue is, determine if it's something that's within our scope to sort out, so it has to be something that's about an aged care provider's responsibilities under the Aged Care Act, um And then we also have a discussion about um, what outcome they're seeking to achieve, so I'm sure you can imagine uh, many times complainants come to us with an outcome that that, that we can't achieve you know we can't sack so, yes that's that's a really good question. Um, complainants can. There's three ways that they can do it. Um, they can be an open complainant, which is when they give us their name. We always encourage complainants to be open if, you know, if at all possible, because obviously it's far more likely to get a good resolution of their complaint if, if the service knows who's concerned and, and what it is that they want to achieve. Um, they can be a confidential complainant, which means we know who they are, But they don't want us to tell the service provider. Uh, And they can also be anonymous. So we do receive um, quite a number of anonymous complaints. And um, we act on the information that's that's in them. Um, A lot of those, we might, you know, we will always go to the provider and say we've had this anonymous complaint and and seek a response to it. So as I was saying, where we do have direct contact with the person and we're able to have a discussion with them, we try to ask them to focus on an outcome that's achievable. I would like my father's continence care to improve or I would like the quality of the meals to improve. Often people come to us with things that we can't achieve. Um, We can't sack staff. Uh, We can't have the service closed down. Things like that. um, When they ask us to do those things, we tell them that that's not something we can do, but we can focus on on this. Um, sometimes when uh, quite a lot of um, people who come to us with a complaint have a family member who's passed away in, in the service and they may have concerns around that, and often those are the people who, yes, are after the, somebody being sacked or whatever it is, but we try and focus them on... Um, on an outcome we can achieve. And, and a lot of those people, what they're after is an explanation of what went wrong and um, to have confidence that anything that, that did go wrong is addressed and that it won't happen to somebody else. And that is something we can work with. Th- they can be, yes, but we. Um, We will never assume that it's ill-founded when it comes in. We have to take a complaint as we find it. Um, But uh, I'll I'll go straight to that now, really. When when the complaints come in, in that early resolution phase, which is where we're trying to sort things out quickly, we're trying to um, resolve those within 30 days. And we we do approximately 80% of our complaints in that process. and there's three ways that we will end a complaint at that stage. We will either resolve it quickly to the satisfaction of the complainant. That's obviously the best outcome for everyone concerned. And often that can be achieved with a couple of quick phone calls by our staff. Um, often providers are very responsive at that stage and they'll do what needs to be done, meet the complainant. Sometimes it's a fairly simple thing that the complainant just hasn't felt comfortable raising directly. And, Maybe next time they will be because they'll see that they do get um, an outcome and that they don't experience um, repercussions when they raise a complaint. Um, We can, in that uh, um, early phase, decide to take no further action. So that may be because when we look at the issue and get the provider's response, we don't think any further action is warranted. Uh, or it may be because there has been a bit of an issue and the provider's taken really quick action t- to address it. In that case, we, w- we will finalise it on the basis of no further action. Um, so I guess what we say to providers when we're dealing with them in the early resolution phase is that this is their opportunity to try and fix it, um, take control of it, look into it, see what went wrong, see if they can fix it, if possible talk to the complainant and resolve it with them. Um, it's really in everyone's interest for it to be done that way and not to then have to progress to um, a more um, a more detailed and intensive resolution process. But if we're not able to achieve that, that's when we um, go on to the next stage. I might just stop there since we have had a few questions. Are there any questions so far about that intake and an early resolution stage, any further questions? Okay, I'll, I'll move on then. So if we can't resolve the complaint through early resolution, we go to a more formal resolution process and we have three pathways that we can use there. The first one is what we call service provider resolution. That's essentially a more detailed version of what we might do in early resolution, where we write to the provider and we say, these are the concerns that have been raised with us. Um, we would like you to look into these, take appropriate action. If appropriate, talk with the complainant, and then write back to us and tell us what you've done to sort it out. Um, we may also ask for documentation and so on to support um, what they, the action that they've taken. Um, and we may even be ask a few fairly direct questions at that phase just to make sure that the provider actually understands what it is that we want them to address. When we get that response we will test it with the complainant um, and if they are still um, not satisfied or, or are raising things that perhaps are at odds with what the provider's told us or if we have any concerns with what the, provi- the information the provider's given us we can go back with further questions and so on. The next approach, which we're doing more and more of, is conciliation. Um, this is often a, a extremely effective way of resolving complaints where we get the provider and the complainant together to talk about and agree on a way forward with the concerns. Many, many of our complaints, um, even even though there may be some substantive concerns there, many of them ultimately come down to communication and and relationship between the service and the complainant. That can be for all sorts of reasons and can be, you know, there's always two sides to that story. Um, But if we can get the parties talking together and agreeing together um, and a complainant walking away feeling happy with the outcome, then, you know, that benefits everybody. we had had one uh, a couple of months ago where a daughter came to us, was unhappy with various aspects of her mother's care. She was a bit nervous about raising the complaint. She thought her mother might not really want to be involved because they were worried about repercussions. Um, we went and visited the mother and the daughter and spoke to them and got there. They became confident that, that <coughs> if we did it through a conciliation process that, that it would be a positive thing and, um, and we worked with them and with the provider, and um, at the end of it, it was a very positive thing. The the complainant came back to us and said, "Thank you. I've really seen improvements in my mother's care, but also I feel I now feel confident that I can go and talk directly with the with the facility manager, and that that you know I, that it will be addressed." And similarly, the facility came back to us and said, "Thank you for your support through that. Um, we." We did identify some things that needed to be improved within how we were operating we've been able to make some changes and we now also feel that we can we can deal with this um, this family member and the relationships back on track so conciliation can be a really effective tool doesn't always work but it's um, we're trying to use it more and more and the third approach is investigation this will typically be where it's a more um, Serious issue, perhaps an issue with with um, clinical um, components that we need to obtain documentation. Sometimes we might need to obtain records, perhaps from a hospital, if somebody's gone into hospital from the service or come out from the hospital. Um, we may need to uh, seek a range of advice in relation to that matter. So that's where we'll be doing a more formal uh, investigation process. Um, we can do all, all kinds of things during our resolution process, depending on what we think is going to work, and it can be fairly flexible. Um, as I'll talk about a bit later, we can consult with uh, clinical uh, professionals and with other, other people with expertise in other areas. Um, obviously, we can ask for, complaint, for information from the complainant or from the service provider or from other parties, um, documentation. We can visit the service um, or the home where the, the um, person is living, um, we always try to involve the person receiving care as much as possible. Obviously that's not always possible when someone has a high level of dementia or, or um, is you know, unable to communicate with us, but we'll always try to involve them to the extent that, that they're able to be involved in those, those decisions and discussions can interview um, parties. We don't do this very often, but we can, um, which can include, um, as I say, we, we do off, usually speak with the person receiving care, but we may interview other people. That may be staff who are on duty when a particular incident happened. It may be the doctor. Um, and we can also, as I mentioned earlier, refer issues to another organisation. Most, um, most commonly that's to the uh, quality agency. Um, we can refer matters to the Department of Health if we think there's a compliance issue. We can occasionally uh, refer matters to the HCCC or to other parties when um, when appropriate. Um, if we're not able to resolve a complaint um, through working with the parties, we can issue uh, a notice to a provider, um, a notice directing them to... Um, undertake certain actions. If we we get to that point, we always have a a notice before the directions that says, these are our concerns, you've got 14 days to either demonstrate that those concerns are not valid or to put in place actions that will give us confidence that you've addressed any deficiencies. If we're not satisfied with the response to that notice, we can, as I say, issue directions. And um, if we're still not satisfied at that point, that would be when we would make a referral to the department for um, consideration of compliance action. Are there any questions about the um, process before I move on to just some uh, statistics and so on? Happy to take questions at the end. so this is just um, some statistics on the numbers of complaints the um, Aged Care Complaints Commissioner has received uh, in the first six months of our operation. And you can see that the column on the right is this year. The column on the left is the same period last year. So there has been um, quite, quite an increase. Um, the number of complaints increased by about 11%. So we received um, 2,153 complaints nationally in that, in that six months. Uh, we also receive a lot of things that aren't complaints. We receive quite a lot of inquiries, so we've received um, 1,406 inquiries. That can be when somebody rings up and just wants to ask us some information about um, age, not so much about aged care but about. Um, you know, is my mother entitled to this or can they charge this fee? They don't want to raise a complaint yet, but they just want some more information. So those are inquiries. And we also receive um, quite a number, 1,635 of what we call out-of-scope calls, which are um, calls that are not about things within, within our responsibility. So we do receive calls that we might... We always try and help the person and refer them somewhere. That might be helpful. That might be the Seniors Rights Service or it might be the HCCC if it's about a doctor, for example, or it could be all all sorts of places that we we try and um, send people to if we can possibly do that. So as you can see, yes, the the number of complaints there has increased. Um, We see that as a good thing. Um, When you look at the number of complaints Um, overall, I mean 2,153 complaints is not really that many nationally when you think of the number of people receiving aged care services. So we think that an 11% increase in complaints is about people understanding who we are and what we do and that we can help them. Uh, So we see that as a very positive thing that more people are coming forward to raise complaints and that um, we think is a... A benefit of having um, the aged care complaints commissioner in place, because she's an independent um, person and she's an individual. She's a—I don't know if you've seen Ray speak at um, conferences or seen her in um, media interviews, but she's—you know—she's very, um, she's she's very effective communicator, and she's the sort of person that you, you can see that people would feel confident going to her with their complaint and and rightly so so she's been able to raise the profile of the complaints process um, just uh, in terms of, and if you do look up our annual report you'll see some more statistics on on, on all of this but um, we also do customer satisfaction surveys um, and you know, with any sort of satisfaction survey, you don't always get everyone filling it in, although I'm sure everyone will be filling their evaluations in today. Um, we've had 462 customer satisfaction surveys that we've received in that six months, and 82% of the respondents advised that they were satisfied with our service, so we're we're pretty happy with that. Um, of course, some, some people aren't. Um, by and large, the uh, quite a lot, of the respondents to our satisfaction surveys, were service providers, and we get a lot of positive comments there about how we've assisted them to work more effectively with the complainant and to address issues. Um, and we receive a lot of satisfied complainants sa- thanking us for assisting them with that, with their care. That's one of the nice things about my job. Actually, I get to see all the nice things that people say about my staff, and um, some of them do make me feel very proud. We had. Just this week I had one A man rang up specially to say that the officer who'd worked with him had been the first ray of hope he'd had in his matter. So I think if we can be a ray of hope for somebody, that's a wonderful thing. Um, in the complaints that we've looked at in our first six months, um, these are some of the things that come to us most frequently, clinical care, medication management, I'll talk about these a little bit more. Uh, In the next slide, continence management is a common one, falls prevention. Um, So we do get quite a lot of issues, in in fact, probably almost a majority of issues that have some element of a a clinical nature Uh, and we do have um, a clinical unit um, attached to the Complaints Commissioner and we we receive clinical advice at a number of levels. so we have a centralised clinical unit. That Im- at, at this stage it, it could be any number of different registered um, health professionals. But at this stage, all our clinical advisers are registered nurses. Um, so there are, um, I think, six registered nurses in the actual centralised clinical unit. But we also employ um, registered nurses in um, in our complaints teams. Um, and what So at the moment in New South Wales I have uh, three staff who are complaints officers who are also registered nurses. Um, For us so far this year they've been doing a standard complaints officer role but using their expertise within that. Um, But what's been being trialled in a couple of other states and is going to be um, brought in for our state as well is those uh, registered clinicians on the ground in the state offices will also have... um, a role around providing support and advice to non-clinical staff to help them deal with and understand clinical issues. So um, the registered clinicians on the ground can help people with you know, understanding clinical terms, um, knowing understanding how to read um, progress notes or other documentation that, that we might have collected during our investigation, um, and also applying um, uh, looking at the, the less complex cases of you know, assessing whether something is, at, is being done at a, a reasonable standard. Um, when we have more complex advice, that goes into our more specialised clinical unit, and they will typically ask for a range of documentation, and um, they'll be extremely thorough in going through all of that and identifying any clinical concerns that, 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 that we may need to then go back and raise with the provider Um, the sorts of issues that um, we've been getting advice on from the clinical unit. We've had, um, we get quite a lot of complaints about medication administration, um, but uh, yeah, particularly some particular ones around whether non-registered clinicians can administer Schedule 8 medications and under what circumstances, so you know, the clinical unit needs to look at that and appropriate levels of, of um, training and supervision for staff in relation to that. A lot of complaints come back to care planning um, and the relationship between assessment, um, ongoing evaluation of the care, care planning and making sure that um, it's all well documented so that all staff are clear on on what's required. Um, we get Quite a, lot, quite a lot of our most contentious complaints are around changes in clinical condition, and particularly around management of deterioration in residents. Um, I'm sure you would have all dealt with situations with family members who feel that their loved one has passed away because something wasn't done properly. Um, we all know that often people don't often that that's people don't understand the ageing process and, and that these things can happen quickly but sometimes it can be that, that there was um, something that wasn't recognised and um, escalated appropriately or quickly enough and, and so those are some of the more complex things where we'll be working with our clinical unit to look at those. Referrals to specialists is another area, um, you know, whether a complex wound has been um, referred to a specialist person early enough. Uh, difficult behaviour management issues, for example, um, and advanced care planning is another one that that, that comes up um, very often, particularly around um, again um, uh, deaths of residents and and deterioration as well, and whether there's been clear communication around the wishes of the resident and or their family and, and what's expected and what's going to happen when that when that happens. So just to reiterate, our um, focus is resolve, protect, improve, and we think those are actually three useful things for anyone dealing with complaints in aged care to to think about. If you're the person receiving a complaint directly face-to-face on the floor or whether you're the person responsible for complaints management in your service, Um, if you can be thinking about how do I resolve this complaint for this person, have I listened to them, understood it, really looked at what we can, what outcome they're after and how we can assist them to feel that that's been resolved? Does the complaint raise any risks about um, the, the care that's being delivered? What do we need to do to protect the resident and or other residents? And are there any lessons from this complaint that can be used to improve our, our care and our service? If you're interested in any further resources, there's all kinds of stuff on our website. Um, There's obviously a range of materials about us, and those are available in um, a number of community languages. But there's also um, some useful resources for service providers um, to assist you with managing complaints as well. So there's a a suite of documents called the Better Practice Guide to Complaint Handling in Aged Care Services. There's posters, booklets, templates and so on that um, you know, I think are really good um, resources to help staff who are managing complaints to walk through that complaints journey and um, really focus on on resolution. Final message. Um, We always say to providers, um, have you thought about offering an apology to the complainant? Um, And we often find that, particularly when we're doing conciliations, but not only then, that uh, when, uh, when something has gone wrong, or even if nothing that bad's gone wrong, but the experience for that person's been negative, um, offering um, a, a well-made apology can really be the final thing that helps that person feel that their issue's been resolved. So when I'm talking about a a good apology I'm talking about um, the person feeling that they've been heard and understood, um, feeling that their experience has been acknowledged um, and where there has been uh, a problem identified in the care, letting the person know what you're going to do to make it better, to make sure it doesn't happen again either to their Loved one, or or that that won't happen again to other people in the service. That's it from me. But I'm very happy to take any any questions or discussion points. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to offer you legal advice. Um, however, there I understand there is, uh, and these laws do vary from state to state as well. There is a, um, a law in New South Wales and I can't remember the name of the law someone who may know um, around an apology not not necessarily being an admission of liability. so there are good resources on this um, if you look on the New South Wales Ombudsman's website um, there's some good stuff there around making a meaningful apology uh, and that's I think that's where you, you can also find. Um, some information around the, the, the legislation. We don't have that on our website because a lot of the – it's a complex field and there are state laws that, that come into play here as well. Um, yeah, so – The question? I can't quite hear you, I'm sorry. The Ombudsman are you talking about? The New South Wales Heady Online ah. course, the modules, the education modules available to New South Wales health employees. There is a module on, uh, on that particular subject and talks about apology and you're not liable yeah. for making an apology. It makes, it's very explicit on, uh, on saying that. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me.